five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello, and a very warm welcome to Five in the Eye. It's Phil Woodford back in the hot seat this week. Thanks so much to Judge Bob Makara and Olu Alaki for standing in for me over the last couple of weeks. You're listening to episode 0344 of Colourful Radio's weekly news review show. And joining Phil by Zoom this week, yes, it's me, Mike Lohutu, looking forward to looking back at some of the stories that caught our eye this past week. And top of the list is the harassment of Keir Starmer on the streets of Westminster by an angry mob and the Tories' inability to adapt or accept, rather, to accept even partial responsibility for the events. Has the concept of shame now disappeared from our politics? Five in the eye. And for story number two this week, we ask whether we're now back to normal after the disruption of COVID. And if we're not, what exactly will normal look like? At three this week, it's the super rich. No, not the likes of you, Phil. I'm talking about Jeff Bezos, a man so rich, he can have a bridge dismantled to move his super yacht from Rotterdam. And Elon Musk, who apparently is, apparently objects to having movements of his private jet tracked. Hmm. And for number four, it's the culture secret- secretary, Nadine Dorries, and her bizarre TV interviews. And to cap the show, what about the guy who was booked for allegedly doing wait for it, 260 miles an hour on a German autobahn? 260 miles an hour. That's faster than you, Michael. He wanted to get home to listen to this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. Okay, well, we're going to kick off this week with the story about Keir Starmer uh, and David Lammy, who were both harassed in the street by a crowd of the most you know, bizarre nature, to be honest, people who oppose the lockdown and um, and, and, and the, the controls. I mean, not that we have much of a lockdown now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm completely lost, Michael, as to what these people think they're protesting against. And then they, they were, um, amongst other things, um, shouting about... Um, the allegations Boris Johnson had made in Parliament concerning Keir Starmer's um, supposed um, failure to act in the, uh, the the case of the notorious sex offender Jimmy Savile. And we know that this allegation is a load of absolute baloney. And um, anyone who was close to what was going on in the CPS at the time knows that Keir Starmer doesn't bear any personal responsibility for what happened with Savile. But it was um, an allegation that Johnson was happy to make in the House of Commons. He's refused to withdraw it. And the allegation is that he's kind of given an acceptability to that particular claim that allows people, gives people a license to shout at Starmer in the street um, and, um, and harass him. And would Boris Johnson withdraw the remarks no just some mealy mouthed kind of weaseling around it all and the some tories seem keen to back it and you've raised the question with me michael has shame disappeared as a concept from politics there's almost nothing now is there that seems to shame anyone into contrition shame we just double down we just repeat it and defend it and what, what, what's so what's so sad about this this particular instance of uh, of Johnson being outrageous and and spinning lies was it comes from the right wing 
comes from the right wing, the people who want to defame the left and, and bring 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 them down. And it, it's 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 it. He knows it's a lie. He knows because he knows where it comes from. He knows exactly what he's doing. But it's it's part of a part of a, 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 a kind of a failure of our constitution, Phil. Okay, that's a big statement. What am I talking about here? We don't expect our leaders to say such things. Look, look what the, the speaker said. He said words has consequences. This is not the, although he didn't say it in an angry, loud, and violent way. Nevertheless, the words had consequences. And we can see the mob. We had the, some members of the Tory party defending the mob. They were only doing what they were supposed to do. And it was just outrageous. And I think this is a, a, what, what, what we're exposing here, Phil, is a failure of our constitution, which was based on decency, a good old boy's next word. And we've said this before, doing the right thing, you know, play the white man, all that, that nonsense. The sense that they would, they would, it's not just the rules, it's the spirit. It's the spirit. And, 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 that, and that's what Johnson and his cronies have destroyed. I've done away yeah. with. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're undermining the kind of unwritten conventions of how politics is done in the country. But, but it's our constitution, convention, yeah. constitution. Pull up what you want, but it's yeah, our constitution. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we don't have a written constitution. I mean, I, you know, as you as you know, Michael, probably from our previous conversations, I I'm a believer in having a written constitution because I think it sets that kind of framework for any functioning society and the, when when you have a constitution that is unwritten it is inevitably going to be incredibly vulnerable to events and people seeking to undermine the conventions that you that that, that you live by and that's what we're kind of seeing at the moment um but even where you do have a written constitution like in the states of course um that's no guarantee against this kind of thing happening because um you know we can see how people are trying to undermine many of the rights and freedoms in america that have been um that have been built up over a, a number of years but so film, the, film, the parallel film. here the parallel here to me is with the right-wing populism in america with q and and all of that stuff exactly they're, they're trying to defend a 1776 document the constitutionalists and it mm. should be translated literally. This, you know, one of the ones, you know, the right to bear arms of a militia. This was a militia, and the and right to carry guns, guns which took minutes to load. It took you minutes to load a gun back in the day, back in when that was written. And it takes you seconds to kill hundreds now. We've moved on. So I don't, I don't buy that, Phil, that maybe the Constitution will be a constraint. The Constitution will reflect who we are today, who we are mm. today. And, and so, we, so it's clear there are some rules at least. So we don't get this nonsense where Johnson is allowed to lie and lie consistently. And as you say, no shame in it. Well, the, 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 I mean, the other, the other angle to this is these really, really weird people that were actually involved in this incident with Keir Starmer. And I saw Channel 4 uh, go down and interview some of the people the day afterwards. Amongst them, for instance, was Piers Corbyn, the the the, the brother of the former Labour leader, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who, <laughs> no, who is one of these anti-vax yeah. conspiracy theorists. And when he was interviewed, he was saying, you know, well, people believed all this stuff that uh, about Keir Starmer long before Boris Johnson uh, said it. And that um, actually, th there is an argument, isn't there, Michael, that 
it's not so much that these extremists and cranks are following the words of Boris Johnson. It's that Boris Johnson is following the words of the extremists and the cranks that are being led people who have these kind of bizarre conspiracy ideas. Um, and they are a motley collection of people from all kinds of backgrounds and political persuasions. Yeah, and, and this is an, it is almost, this is almost Trumpian. And he, he talks about them. He connects with them, but then distances himself from them. Mm -hmm. This QAnon, he's doing exactly the same. And the sinister thing, Phil, the sinister thing is it almost strengthens his case for his position. You know, it's a version of, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, yeah. You know, saying the saying the implied. Well, not, it's not, the dog you know, whistle, isn't it? Where, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it strengthens them. Not, 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 not only amongst the people outside, they say, oh, yeah, he's saying the right things. He's speaking up for me. But then the people inside, the, the, the MPs, see that in order to defend, in order to to to, um, to, to, get, uh, to stay in power, they have to toe not the party line, but Johnson's line. So they double down on his line. So you get a kind of a feedback loop here. He feeds the nonsense in, the crowd absorbs it, MPs respond to the crowd. Because, you know, I remember meeting um, Tony Benn, and in the street, quite randomly, and I recognized him. I said, I don't know who you are. We got, we got into a chat, and I remember clearly he said, We talked about change and politics and the political system. And he says, All change comes from the street. So there's Johnson tapping into the streets, and then it comes into the House of Parliament. Yeah, but you know, we can see we can see Michael. The street can be a very ugly place uh, when when you see those kind of people harassing um, Stomer and Lammy. I I do worry. There's another issue, which is back to the security of our politicians, and we we've seen two MPs murdered in um, our you know recent political seem very incapable of providing proper protection for you know the uh, the the, um, the 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 shadow ministers as they walk down the street in Westminster. Does that worry you? Well, it just destabilizes our our uh, political system, and you get. I'm going to say you get the politics or the political environment you deserve. They create the mood music. And yes, I can blame. I'm blaming polit polit politi politicians for this because they create this atmosphere, this this feral, feeble attitude where, where, where we're all at each other's throats, and it becomes you know a, a binary them and us. And you know, we've lost this idea of um, political nuance. You know, where, where we we can accept and understand difference. Now we're intolerant of it. We're against it. You're either with us or against us. Clear cut. And I think I think the genie's out of the bottle now, and can we can we go back to a consensual one nation kind of politics? I, I, I question this, Phil, in terms of what is normality, what is the sense. Story number two this week is about the, the pandemic, and are we are we returning to normality? Can we return to normality? What is normality? What are the signs? I've I've been in London a couple of times this week. Which you know, in the past two years, I was it was all, I had been for such a long time, and it, I was like, the tubes almost back to normal. In fact, the Northern Line was um, was down at London Bridge, so we're all jammed onto the the um, the uh, Jubilee Line. It was packed, 
Then I was on the the, the Maribel line and uh, the, uh, the Bakerloo line, and there was the some eye. delays on there. There was crowded platforms, trains. It was just like back in the old days, and it was, you know, I felt uncomfortable. But there were, you know, I would say mask wearing was in the minority. People were just getting on with their lives, having fun, going to work. You know, crowded. There was no respectful distancing on the on the on the escalators, and I just thought, is this normal? I guess it, it is, but my responses. Let me tell you, you know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a check today. I'm gonna have a uh, a lateral flow test from because I went out yesterday. Cause I, I did one before I went out because I was going to a meeting, and now I'm doing one after because I was in I was in close proximity to so many people. So I guess that's part of normality. So I guess what's happened, Phil? I think the conventions of normality have changed. We're different now. The lateral flow test is part of that normality. What, what have I what have what have I said, Michael? That your you know your free lateral flow test that you're taking might not be free for very much longer. I think if the government has its way, and we we're going to see probably, um, as Boris Johnson suggested this week, that you know the requirement to self isolate from COVID is going to uh, disappear fairly soon. It's just going to become like another bug. And if you got that bug where you, you know, you could be responsible and you could choose to stay at home and not pass it on, or it could be like the old days and you wander off on the tube and you go off to work because you don't really feel that bad. Just got a bit of a sniffle. Um, and we're starting to treat COVID a little bit like it's any other bug. And some people would say it's too soon to do that because we've still got an extraordinary number of people who are dying every day from this disease. And these will be people who are um, unvaccinated um, or they could be people who are particularly vulnerable uh, or, or people who for some reason are unable to be vaccinated for medical reasons. And there is a category of people um, there as well. And I mean, I do, I do really feel for people who've got chronic health conditions, who feel very vulnerable still to COVID, this idea of normal, it's not going to be normal for them, is it? No, 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 no. You're right for normal. But, but they've got to change their expectations, what they expect. Coming back to your point about the you know, charging for the um, lateral flow test, I think that'll be a bad move from the government's point of view. Just as I think, too quickly taking down the uh, the the isolation period is a bad move. Just they should bring it down. You know, they brought it down to five. Maybe bring it down to three. Do it as, as a process. In the same way, you know, the, 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 they shouldn't charge for the actual flow test because we will do that. That's part of our confidence. Because that that, that 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 that's my takeaway in the, in this normality. One's confidence in your ability not to get this disease or at least be able to manage it. Let, let, me put, let me put a scenario to you, Michael, that I, I discussed on Twitter the other day. So um, let's say it did become no longer mandatory to isolate when you had COVID. If you didn't have symptoms, why would anyone ever test themselves? I mean, they probably wouldn't, would they? Because no, no one would really bother that much if, they, if there was no requirement to ever self-isolate if you had it. No, Phil, um, exactly, Phil. That's part of the normality. You may not have it, but you just in case you check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying That's is part that of that there must be a proportion of people who, unlike you, being the responsible citizen, would only be testing because they know that it's the law and they know that they must do it. No, Phil, no, that's all part of the nudge. You know, 
track and trace, you know, hands, face, space. We, 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 we educate people. The government informs people. It makes them aware of how they should protect themselves and protect others. Mm-hmm. It's a two-way street. You know, we shouldn't make these things mandatory, but we, we can give indicators that, you know, if you've been in this environment, if you've been in close co- contact with a number of people in a, non, in a poorly ventilated environment, then just have a check just in case. Just as I'm going to have a check this morning. No, but if we if we do get into if we do get into a world where fewer people feel the need to test, and maybe a world where you had to pay for the tests and people testing positive for COVID, it look like COVID is much less of a thing, unless you're measuring it just by hospital admissions or by deaths. And of course, we know that they lag behind. We're losing, we're potentially losing our signals, aren't we, as to how the epidemic is progressing if we if we lose all the testing. Well, that's a good word, signals. Those are the, the things we're aware of. And that's where the government has to step in. You know, and it's a, it's a, it's a nanny state again, but it's we're just reminding us, helping us back into the normality. Or, or the, and normality has changed. We're never, ever going to go back. We'll always, I will always look for a well-ventilated space. I, I, you know, I will be aware of those people, some people preferring to wear masks, and I will, I will accept that. I won't see it as some kind of sinister threat. And I will, look from time to time, in it, when I do go into an uh, environment I'm unsure of, I will have a lateral flow test. You know, so it, this, what I'm saying now, Phil, it won't stop me doing things, it won't stop me going out, but I'm aware of the consequences of, of what, when I go out, what I should expect. And equally, when you go to places now, they'll have hand washing, the, 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 um, the, the sprays and stuff for you to, to wash your hands or to clean your hands in, regularly throughout the building or throughout the restaurant. There'll be opportunities for you to, to, to sanitize yourself. So no, that, that, that to me is part of all part of the new normality. Maybe maybe in eighteen months, two years time, they'll they'll be in the background, won't even notice them, but they'll be there. So no, for, I, I, I don't. I think the government does a part to play to ease us into a normality. But you raised the point: vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. If you even if, if you're vaccinated with the boost, then even if you do get it, your chances of being ending in intensive care are, are greatly reduced. Or almost to zero. So it's the regular five in the eye plea. If you haven't had your booster, get your booster, please. Um, it's good for you. It's good for all of us. Five in the eye. So story number three this week is about the super rich. And obviously we immediately, our thoughts immediately turn to Michael, but actually, you know, we're, 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 we're thinking here about uh, the likes of Jeff Bezos and, and, and Elon Musk, Mr. Bezos, has one of the kind of super yachts that is the size of the Eiffel Tower or something. And um, he needed to maneuver it through the canals of Rotterdam. And there was a bridge in the way. So what did he do, Michael? He he has the wealth to pay to have the bridge temporarily dismantled and reassembled so that his super yacht can get through. I mean, what, uh, what, what an ex- I mean, if there was a definition of of wealth, that surely must be it. And then we were reading also, weren't we, about Elon Musk, um, the uh, the tech entrepreneur from uh, the states, who um, has has discovered that his uh, private jet is being tracked, and um, wanted to to stop the person that was doing this, um, and that person asked apparently for fifty dollars, and Mr. Musk wasn't keen to shell out. Um, 
the super rich. They live a charmed life, Michael, don't they? Um, but should they be calling the shots? That's part of the problem. They're, they're super rich, and we let them call the shots because we live in a society now where, where the role of government has been reduced so much that they have opportunities to step in. But the one that gets me is their philanthropy. They're seen as philanthropic when they make great awards to local institutions and things of that nature. When in fact, why don't they just pay taxes? So that, so that, so that we can decide, governments can decide where they're going to spend their money rather than these, these fabulously wealthy people. They can build, as you say, you can, you can build a yacht that's so big that the people who designed the yacht, these are people in Rotterdam, they forgot to think, this thing is so big, we, got it, we can't get it out of here because there's a bridge in the way. No problem, we'll just dismantle the bridge and put it back together. Such is the wealth and arrogance of these people. You know, there's a certain, you know, gone too far. But I guess that that that's one of the joys, fun, the fun of being wealthy, wealthy. There's nothing that money cannot overcome, the money cannot buy. But then equally, we as a society, we let them do it. We let them do it. Because they, because they don't, oh, that's a big statement, they don't pay taxes. Of course they pay taxes. But they, do they pay their fair share? Do they pay their fair share of taxes? Not, that's what frustrates me. And then you get the you know, this desire to be different. You know, this, this Tesla, Elon Tesla, Elon Tesla, Elon Musk, <laughs> the man who owns Tesla, or the big proportion of it. He says... Uh, he 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 doesn't want his yacht. His yacht, not his, not, it's yachts and yachts and aircraft. These people have all the money. He doesn't have his. his doesn't want his aircraft tracked. And this is that information about the aircraft is freely available because it should be available because we want to know what's in the air. You 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 can you can follow any plane potentially if you are a, a, a plane spotter, can't you? With you using technology and apps and so on. And and this is what this guy is done and he's he's kind of monitored where musk goes i mean you know but you could say well yes uh, we, we, we we if we know that musk is flying to the bahamas and then on to switzerland and then back to america and whatever it's interesting isn't it but do we really have a right to know where he is and where does that lead us michael what about people like politicians and their movements being followed and someone there is a serious issue there isn't there about security and so on Okay, but there's two. I think you're confusing two things, Phil. One is the man, yeah, or the woman, and their whereabouts. And then the the, the, the second is this object in the sky that's, that has to share the sky with other objects. Now, military aircraft do not have an identity; they're allowed to roam freely. Yeah, but but but, but, but um, commercial public aircraft. They need to know who's out there, who's flying, so they know who's who's in the sky around them. They can't suddenly appear if if we're going to have, have air, airways that work. But they, you they, always know when you're out in your Learjet, you always notify the authorities, don't you, Michael? Well, <laughs> I'm a bore, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Of course you do. That, that, that it comes with, and it's in your interest. It, it, it comes back to the vaccination. It's the community's interest that we know everyone's out there. So you literally don't bump into each other. You don't bump into each other. So it's it's in not just our common interest. It just makes sense. Just makes sense if, if we're going to make these systems work. Just on a motorway, you know, we travel. We all travel in the same direction. You know, we can't decide. Well, I'm going the other way. You know, it don't work like that. There are rules that make this system work. And so these people who don't want to, well, you made the point about politicians. 
there are ways, as I say, with military aircraft, or they, or equally, they could fly on domestic. Um, in fact, maybe that's an incentive for them to, to use commercial aircraft. So the commercial aircraft, we know where it is, but we don't know who's on it. So no, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't buy the fact that these people are uh, leaving open for uh, some terrorist attack or whatever. You know, this information is out there and it's needed to, needed to, make, to make the system work. So no, move on, move on, move on from there. So I don't, you're not going to win that argument, protecting people. You know, and as, far, as for Elon Musk, in, in terms of uh, the, the things that he's, in terms of him as a person, he's, he's a great thinker. I love his, he's, he's a big visionary. But at the same time, you know, it has to be practical and realistic and work with us rather than, rather than against us. And I, and I have to think sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. Five in the eye. Moving on to story number four. Story number four. Now, this is a, about, I, I should be celebrating celebrating this lady, because she's a, a working-class scouser. Nadine Norris, she's a minister of culture. You know, I'm a scouser, I'm interested in culture, but Nadine does not represent me, mate. <laughs> Sorry, Nadine, she doesn't. And she just, and in some ways, she's an accident waiting to happen, and that accident happened this week, and we saw her cultural sensibilities when she was interviewed by... Um, was it, what, 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 I think it was Char- Charlie Stace on the BBC Stace Breakfast, on the BBC, wasn't it? Uh, on Breakfast. Yeah, I yeah. asked a few questions, and it was a train crash. A train crash. Did, did you watch it? Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's a fri- frightening interview. I mean, I I, um, I, I teach uh, students presentation skills for, for media interviews and so on, and um, she, she's given me some, uh, some material that I can use in my classes, to be honest, about how not to do an interview and you know her her confrontational stance her refusal to answer the questions to be honest i mean she really looked quite dazed and confused throughout the whole thing and and and, and discombobulated didn't look like someone who was in control of the situation at all did she michael you know, she was such a lightweight a lightweight and i mean i was minded of the, the we used to go in the big beasts in the old day the ken clarks i've been and and, and Two Jags and two, what was his name? Two, two, two. Oh, Prescott. Prescott is two Jags. They, 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 they would never answer the question. They, they come back. The question you're asking me is this. Yes, I understand what you're saying, but we need to consider this. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they come back with authority and yeah, gravitas. Well, this, and this is what you should do in, inter- in, in any interview situation. You know, I don't want to give tips to people who might come on and be interviewed by us, Michael, but if we ask a difficult question, you need to address it and then segue into what you want to say. I mean, exactly. that's, that, that's the nature of that. She was on the defensive and the whole camera angle and the what that got me. This is the Minister of Culture. If you look at if you look at the background, you can watch put the video. The video is on the on our, our Facebook page. She's got a bookcase there, but guess what, Phil? There's no books in it. <laughs> this is the minister yeah, for culture. Yeah. No books. Yeah, but I mean, you, you couldn't get a better metaphor, could you, for the for, for Boris Johnson's government? And the the other thing, of course, is Nadine is one of the biggest uh, backers of Boris, um, oh. despite all the Partygate uh, fiasco. And you have to ask yourself why. And I would say because. She wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Boris. No, no one else in their right minds would be giving her some high-profile ministerial job. So unless Boris remains in place, um, her job is 
absolutely on the line, isn't it? And 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 this is where her loyalty comes from, I believe. Well, you know, you know, I've got I've, I've got a special interest in culture, as you well know. Do you know how many ministers of culture we've had we've had since twenty seventeen? Quite a few, I suspect. This, this I is know. our seventh. You know, she's a ship in the night. She'll be another one along in a minute, like a bus. Maybe another one. And she just, you know, it's the old Peter principle. You rise to the level of your incompetence. You know, and, you know the Peter, back in the 70s, that was, that was a management principle that you were, pro, you were promoted to the level get, of your you incompetence. Get to, the, to get to a point where you, you can't do the job properly, at which point you can't promote it anymore. Exactly. So I, I guess, you know, and here's me. This is a fellow scouser, a working class scouser, a woman. And, I, you know, I'm having a go and I feel really bad about it. But you just have to look at that, that interview and then look at her record. And it's it's an embarrassment. <laughs> it's an embarrassment, Phil. I'm sorry it is. You know, so Nadine, you know, you need to go back to, uh, in fact, you need to go on one of your courses, Phil. Yeah, you come on one of my media training class, join my French students, Nadine. Exactly. And you learn a few exactly. learn a few tips, yeah. Five in the eye. Story number five this week. Uh, I have to ask you, Michael, what's the fastest you've ever done down a motorway? And I don't want you to incriminate yourself. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know it's not more than about 72 miles, 72 miles an hour. Listen, Is that right? Fun. As fast as that in my bongo, no way. <laughs> we dream of that. I'm a very happy 55 miles to 60 mile an hour. Man. Yeah, very, yeah, you'd be quite happy poking around the, the, the states of America with their 55 mile an hour speed limit. Exactly. I've got, I've got my hat on and my pipe. I'm very comfortable. I take my slippers off because I like to drive out of my slippers. But I'm very comfortable at my 55 miles at 60 mile an hour bongo. So this the, ger- the, ger- the German bar is notorious, isn't it, for a, a lack of speed limit. And this some Czech businessman was clocked recently, apparently, allegedly doing 260 miles an hour in a Bugatti um, up the road. I mean, you know, this is a mind-boggling speed. It's like, well, is the guy trying to set set some land speed record or something, Michael? You know, What's going on? I once back in the day, we used to have... Um, when you work for a company where the salesman of the month got to win the Porsche. Now, I never became salesman of the month. Long story, but one of my mates did, and he took me out in it. And we did, he traveled at a very fast speed. I can't say much because it was it was back in the 80s, but, you know, I can't say because he's still alive and, you know, may get prosecuted. But when you're traveling at those speeds, the horizon comes towards you. <laughs> you don't go, you just... It comes towards you and alarms me. So I can't imagine what students, it just, you're thinking, you just hold the idea of reality just goes out the window. And when you're thinking about, is there anybody else on the road that could interrupt me? Because think about this, Phil, you're stopping speed at that, that, mm, that, mm. that, that, that stopping speed at that speed is almost three quarters of a mile. Yeah, yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't want to en- encounter a lollipop man or something like that, would you? Really? <laughs> no way, no way. But we said that this is us being old. You know, we should be more responsible here, Phil, because that, yeah. that he was a danger to himself and other road users, and should be taken to task in some way. Because, but you know, his, his videos, millions, seven, I think seventy-two million people have seen the video of it. You know, he set a benchmark there, which you just, you know. Mm, I mean, you, you feel a little bit sorry for the German cops because, I mean, they're probably there on their, their BMW motorbikes thinking, I could do 130. <laughs> exactly. How can you stop this guy? <laughs> 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 you, 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 can't, 
he's a threat to himself and society. So listen, to all our, to all our five night listeners, be careful out there. You know, you know the speed limit. 260 miles, stop. 20 miles an hour in Richmond. Stop and think. And people are still stressing at that. You know, I'm doing my 20 miles and I do it, you know. And people toot me from behind. But I don't know what you can do because I'm in the way to them. I'm doing my 20 miles an hour. So I'm, I'm doing my 20 miles an hour. I'm very proud of it too. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for another week. We're heading off into the sunset now. It's a sedate and legal 30 miles an hour. But we hope you've enjoyed episode 344. If you want to get in touch with us, why not visit our Facebook page where we post up stories we're considering for next week. For now, in London, this is Phil Whitford saying goodbye and wish you well. And this is me, Michael Hujuru, saying as ever, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's five in the eye, parked in the garage, along with the Bugatti. Goodbye. Five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?